Well, ladies and gentlemen, as requested by popular demand, we are back. It's been a very long time. I know Ryan and I have been talking about getting involved in the podcast again. There has just been not really a lot going on during this pandemic, and we just didn't want to feel like we were oversaturating the sports market. But now that things are starting to open up, we're starting to go to sporting events, we're starting to get involved in gambling at sports bars, primarily getting really well, drunk and getting very, very angry. Well, no, I meant in public, Ryan. See, it's very, very <laughs> different. Okay. It's very different when you're at a sports bar. Okay. And you're getting whacked while you're putting in bets at halftime to cover the losses that you've done in the first set of the games. Right. Right. Around like two, two thirty Eastern time. You know what I'm saying? Now you oh, get to yeah. do it. I don't, I don't have my wife chase me around the house with a broom. Well, exactly. Now you get to do it with people who want to uh, suffer with you and enjoy the vices that you like to take part in on any given Sunday. Right? Don't we all? Don't we all? So we were doing the same thing last week, and we were like, you know what? Let's start this shit up again. And here we are, ready ready to get back into the action. So, Ryan, how you been? Hey, Ben. How's, it, how's yeah, everything going? You know, losing a little bit there, but feel like we're back together. More ways than yeah. one. I mean, I got to deal with the Eagles all the time. You got to deal with the Jets. Of course, we lose a little bit of sanity. Well, and yeah, don't but... even get me started on the Sixers again. We'll save that for another Ooh. day. Yeah, well, well this is going to be a very heavy NBA pod uh, cast because it's so early. But we'll we'll definitely stick to uh, our Jets and, and, and Eagles because of the just terrible performances that they have been putting up over the first half of this season. But you're factories, NFL, man. <laughs> yeah, don't we don't we wish that we could get one of those? Just that one position, right? I mean, your boy Carson Wentz seems to be doing pretty well in Indianapolis. He's starting to get it in his groove, even though that everyone seems to just be beating up on him for, honestly, no reason at all, in my opinion. I mean, he is a redhead, so people do discriminate. Strawberry blonde. Oh, okay. That's what we're calling Come on now. Come anyway, on. aside from that, yes, it is unfair. I, I feel like he's coming, you know, didn't play much before. He was coming off the injury, dealing with Philly and left. And I feel like he's come in and stepped in pretty well for Indianapolis. They, they were um, a little bit all over the place to start, but it seems like they've definitely found their footing now. Well, and I think it's beneficial for you as an Eagles fan, right? Because if he plays 75% of his uh, 75% of the snaps, right? Then the first round pick is uh, confirmed for the, for the Eagles this year. I yep. mean, you know, if you, if you look at his, you look at the first 10 games of the season, right? You know, he's completing over 63% of his passes and you know what? He's, he's throwing the ball. I mean, it's not like Mac Jones in, in, in Indianapolis where it's like, uh, not in Indianapolis in new England where he's just dinking and dunking, you know, seven yards per play isn't, you know, too bad, but his, you know, touchdown interception ratio is very, very good at 17 to three interceptions. So I don't know where all of that negativity is coming from. Um, 
you know, it, it seems like he threw that one left-handed pass when he was in the end zone and it felt like the world was falling and everyone in Philadelphia was like, oh, I'm so glad we traded traded him. But, right. you know, I, he's having a pretty good year and, and it does help because of the running game. You cannot say anything negative about what that offensive line has been able to do to protect him, especially with my man Quentin Nelson on the left side and our boy Jonathan Taylor, who's carrying our fantasy team. And yeah, it, it, I, I it, think a lot some of the... Said criticism around him has always been holding on to the ball too long you know those crazy decisions like you covered and sometimes not going to the deeper route and just going to the more comfortable secure route that's you know going to gain you 10 instead of that 25 but like you said he's also controlling the ball 70 to 3 td to interception means he's doing pretty well as a you know, controlling everything for the offensive side, not committing those turnovers. So, you know, I think it's just as good as they could have hoped for. Yeah, and it's something to be said about being with a coach that you're familiar with, right? Um, I know you are very upset about losing Frank Reich, um, you know, after you guys had won the Super Bowl. Um, You know, and it's just a reason why they invested the first-round pick because they thought they could get the best out of him, and so far they are. Um, with, you know, King Henry out for the season, which for whatever reason, I don't know why they think that he's going to be coming back um, towards the end of the season, which would be wild. Uh, but for for the King may not be that surprising <laughs> because that man that man seems to surprise us every time he uh, he touches the ball. And, Dude, and it was interesting. What the whole second half on the broken foot and amazing. Yeah, I mean, it. I, I was at the game, well, uh, physically, I was at the game I, uh, when the Jets upset them in <laughs> Tennessee. I, I flew, I f- no, because I was at a bachelor party th- that weekend down in Nashville because, you know, because the Jets can't make anything easy for me. They couldn't play a home game in Nashville on Sunday. I ended up having to take an early flight, which was miserable, to go to the Jet game, and Looking at him on the field, he is a man running through offensive defensive lines. And it's not like those guys are small. You know, those guys are six between 6'3 six, and 6'5 in the trenches, and they're pushing at least 330. Henry just towers over people. And it's unbelievable how he's able to have such great success at that height, that weight. Because what they topped, I think they said they topped him out at like 22.5 miles per hour. At two hundred and like forty pounds, oh, oh, forget that. Sick. I'm just sticking out my foot if he's running by. Yeah, well, the best part about you know this podcast of how we talk is how you know you would talk in a bar or yeah, you would talk at a game in a parking lot at a tailgate. Um, you know, you have people that make these insane accusations, like a friend of mine who says that. If he was to play safety in the NFL and Derrick Henry or any running back found a hole, he would be able to tackle said running back in the open field. Oh, man. Can we set that up? I'd love Derrick Henry to plow him. Set it up. We did it in the fucking parking lot. (laughs) And it wasn't even a contest. I have my buddies father was 65 years old crossed crossed this boy up like it was um you know what's his name hot hot sauce from the and one mixtape tour and it wasn't even love it wasn't even an athletic showing 
Well, wasn't even close. Also, what's been so amazing about him is, you know, bigger backs, they could pick up more injuries, you know, just given mm-hmm. more surface area to being hit and a lot more weight on those knees. But what past two years, he led the NFL in rushing crazy years. And this year, it, after only playing eight games, he's still tied with the leader for the most yards in the league at 937. So he could come back for a few games and still top a thousand yards. Yeah, but I think it's more about trying to decide whether a, a running back, uh, even at his caliber, right, is mm-hmm. that is that important to the team, right? So, um, you know, remember, Derrick Henry was picked, I think it was 45th overall in that draft class, second running back off the board behind Zeke Elliott, who's picked number four. Now, you know, starting off with those two backs, you know, Zeke had a fantastic first two seasons because he was in uh, Dallas, who had the best offensive line in football, right? Um, Derrick Henry's first two seasons did not go as well as they are going for these previous two or three seasons, right? Minus the injury. So that begs the question, right? Like, is is would you classify like Zeke Elliott as a bust? Would you classify a Saquon Barkley who is hurt uh, once again as a bust? Like, what is the definition of a bust when it comes to players in general, but particularly in this case, running backs? I mean, I, I think it's at times hard to quantify. You know, running back's job isn't only running between the tackles. Um, right. You know, you're, you're not privy to the information, what hole he's supposed to hit, what kind of runs designed, uh, you know, or be it that he's supposed to be outlet to catch that pass. So so there's little intricacies intricacies between them um but you know for the most part i i agree with you with your perspective that the line drives a lot of it but you know still these guys are uber talented running back might be some of the best athletes on the field uh just what they can do and all you know but and go on yeah i i agree with you i mean because there aren't um I mean, they do everything on the field, right? You know, they run out of the backfield. They catch out of the backfield. Some even play special teams, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they have to block. And in certain packages that um, teams like the Kyle Shanahan offenses that do, you know, you need to um, be able to um, pass block as a running back. So right. I think all of those things considered, how, how, do, you, how do you justify – building a team right because if you're picking in the top five and you're drafting a running back at one of those picks you're looking at he, a running back in the first round these days you're you're off your rock that man. high yeah oh well yeah yeah i i any, agree any place in the first round it's not a first round pick anymore just because you know you can get pretty high quality in the second third round and, and we've seen it time and time again right not even that, just undrafted free agents who come and look at James Robinson still producing again this year. And, mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's plenty of others that we could list. Uh, I, I think one of the interesting things is is like this uh, when, when Henry's out, right, looking at their yards per attempt for, for rushes after the player leaves. So, mm-hmm. for instance, he hasn't dropped below three yards when Henry was playing up to 6.6 yards per carry a game. 
Uh, after that, past two games, 2.7 and 2.3. So if we're saying that any running backs interchangeable, I, I don't – it's hard for me to buy. Yes, you might get close to that with the above average line, but I, I don't think you're able to replicate the same results. Well, I guess that's it. I guess it's the same conversation that we had a couple of, a couple of podcasts ago about um, you know the, S- the Super Bowl winning teams. I guess besides last year uh, when Tom Brady had Mike Evans, there hasn't been a, a, a Super Bowl winning team that's had a top tier, highly paid wide receiver to take them to win a Super Bowl. Now, granted. Uh, that team was put together because of Brady, you know, with AB and Godwin and all of those guys taking off a lot of that double coverage from Mike Evans. But, right. you know, I think it's the same. I think it speaks volumes to the running back position as well. Like if you're drafted in the first, if you're drafted in the first round, okay, I'll even say, I'll just even put it at that. Forget top five where Zeke and, and Barkley were picked. For you not to be a bust, in my opinion, you need to, you need to, perform and have a career close to LaDainian Tomlinson. You better be leading the league or right there every year. You mm. should, right? You have to be I, because it, the amount. I, of, I just like, can't even talk about wasting a top five pick on a running back. It, that exactly. is just doesn't make sense. Well, and then from a salary cap perspective, right? I know that the rook, the, the, the draft is, is, is currently, um, you know, scaled based on and and the, the salaries are locked in with each position but if you're if you're picked in the top five you're you're a pretty highly paid running back in the league and you're a rookie so what do you expect your number to be in a second contract and look what the cowboys did with zeke what, what was that, regretting that like as, as soon as you're drafted in the first round you're around top 10 paid running back or something it, yeah, it was something right. crazy like that so it's already put you in the top echelon uh, mm-hmm. being drafted at high. So, you know, the odds are stacked against you. Right. And I think the last time we ended up seeing that was prior to like uh, Derrick Henry and Zeke getting their contracts, but it, it's probably either top 10 or def- definitely in the top 15. Um, but I guess that kind of gets into, you know, given our teams are the way that they are. Um you know, how if you were GM of the Eagles, right? And I know you think that you would probably be, be a better GM than your boy Howie. And I think the rest of Philadelphia and the Philadelphia fan base would agree that he needs to go because he can't draft. And now he's got three first round picks, three of them in the top 15 that is starting to really scare you guys, huh? So oh, <laughs> put your put your GM hat on. You go into Jeffrey Lurie's office, who owns the Philadelphia Eagles. What would be your team from scratch, right? What are the top, let's start at three positions that you would want to invest in without a high salary or a high draft pick to start your team? I mean, it's it's pretty simple, but if, if it's this year's draft, it's going to alter what I'm looking at, right? Since right. there's, in my opinion, there's no top QB, so I would scratch that right away. Okay. But you, would, at, but you would agree, but you would obviously agree quarterback is the most important position in football right, and, you and probably it. in sports. Like, like yeah. look at how many teams struggle without a quality quarterback. It, it's right. unreal. Uh, and it's it's so hard to come by having a top signal caller. You know, teams are striving for that every year. So I, I think that argument's 
been time and time again well defined. So right, there's no reason to really delve into that too far. But uh, if I was looking at this year's draft class, I, I'd say O line, defensive line, right? So mm-hmm. in the trenches, those are your movers, or you know, we're going after creating your pressure, and they, they really free up the other skill players on your team. Be it that if your offensive line, you're giving your quarterback more time to pass or you're giving your receiver more time to be open, creating that extra hole lane for your running back to run through. On the defensive side, uh, you're, you're not having to blitz as many people, so you're freeing up personnel to, for coverage. You're uh, reducing the time of that quarterback, You know, put them under mm-hmm. pressure, creating disturbances, that sort of thing. So I, right. I, I think it's really big being on both the trenches. Now, be it whether it's on the inside or outside, you know, generally outside is a little bit more important, but I, I, I think they're both right up there. You know, I, I wouldn't go for – I mean, some of these guards, you know, it's kind of hard to talk about now, like because you have guys like Quinn Nelson, who are just, you know, you can't even quantify really how right. important that guy is to the Colts. Mm-hmm. Well, you could, I mean, or you look could, at, but look at, yeah, it was Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor and, and, and Carson I, I, yeah, Wentz. Yeah, I was just going off. You know, he he's that high up there. Yeah, I mean, they were when he was drafted. Um, you know, people were throwing gold jackets. Uh, talk at him and you know I remember we used to seeing him and they weren't uh, could, jackets. Uh, no jackets no 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 but it, it's funny because you know you talk about uh, these different types of schools that uh, produce skill positions right or or uh, positions in itself like Notre Dame produces great offensive linemen um, I mean I, I I remember watching Quentin Nelson when uh, he was in high school because he grew up in the town uh, next to the town I grew up in and he was just bigger than everybody. He was just faster than anybody. I remember watching a video, um, and the great uh, Daniel Jeremiah was talking about this the other day when he was looking at some scouting tape, is about how these offensive linemen, when they're about to get into their stance, how flexible they can be. And I think he was saying that Quentin Nelson is one of the only offensive linemen that can squat and um, flex um, his like particular stance on the line while keeping his heels on the ground. Like, just try and like picture that. And you're a wrestler, right? So, like, you you understand how well, important that is to talk about one of the more important sports for linemen to play. You just nailed right. it right there. You're talking right. about hand fighting, balance, control. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of the things that go into it. So, right. I I think that's definitely a great start for a lot of linemen out there. Well, and that's one of the reasons why Tampa Bay wanted to get Tristan Wirfs, right? Because, you know, at Iowa, another powerhouse school for both offensive line play and, and wrestling, um, as as you know really well. And, you know, they Iowa has another big-time offensive lineman that's looking at – that's coming in uh, into the draft at uh, – I think his name is Tyler Linderbaum, 6'3", 290, center, which is probably big one boy. of the most, most important positions on the line because especially – um, you know, for a young signal caller, um, yeah, I, I protection. think it's one of the positions that's you know not highlighted enough just because they, they do so much and have to really control that line. You know, mm-hmm. the, they're the captain of that line, they also, you know, got to relay the calls because they're right there by the quarterback. And dude, 
you're snapping a ball with your head down trying to defend a 300-pound guy rushing after you. That Not the easiest task. And, you know, if you got to pick up help, that sort of thing, or, you right. know, how many times have we seen centers just throw terrible, you know, under leg back over the head, you know, just create turnovers that way. I, I think um, it's one of the undervalued positions out there. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think it's I think it's one of the it's definitely the most um, underrated position in football, probably the second, arguably the second most important position on the offensive line next to, you know, the blind side and left tackle. But it's funny because I'm looking at a, a mock draft right now from from Tankathon. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just very interesting to see because for whatever reason, they're the only site that um, accurately uh, projects. Uh, teams based on strength of schedule and everything like that. So since it's Tuesday, uh, Monday night's done, um, you know, everything is up to date. So with the Eagles, currently they have the fifth pick, the 10th pick, and the 15th pick. Mm. And it looks like Howie Roseman would be drafting in this because at number five, they would be picking Kyle Hamilton. At number 10, they would be picking, uh, what's his name, George Carla Fattis, I believe, the edge from Purdue. Okay. Uh, which you would like. And I then, would like that. And then they would pick the kid, um, Kair Elam from Florida, the cornerback sitting at 6'2, 193. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no defense alignment, which is would be a little bit cause for concern for me if if you're an Eagles fan, right? There's been talks about trying to deal Fletcher Cox and what they're going to do with with that contract, but um, they hit every point of the defense, but they went defensive back twice in the first fifteen picks. Now, well, I, you sign I, off. I, on? I think Kyle Hamilton's uh, special talent, man, just given his size and in the way he can play, either in coverage or in the box. I I, I haven't seen a safety like him in a long time. It's he can really change the game, and and you see it uh, because it's not even just turnovers that he makes. It, they're big time turnovers in in key moments. This guy's running halfway across the field to pick off the pass because he read what the quarterback's doing and saw what the receivers are doing. It, it's right. really impressive, and being at the height he is to, to be able to go and have that agility. You know, that's something else to say. Like he's not going to box out by these guys, the bigger guys. And he's able to get up and make the play, you know, and, and to have that kind of agility is, is I, I just think he's a special prospect. Yeah, I, I, you know, my uh, my takes on safeties, well, you've um, been but yeah, but um, I agree with you, um, Kyle Hamilton. First of all, he's he's young, right, for for a junior. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, he's he's not even 21 yet. Six, like you said, big six, four, six, four. two, nineteen, just um, an explosive athlete. Um, I think when we spoke, you know, off pod, we were a lot of a lot of our conversation was comparing him to Ed Reed, which is probably you know a top five safety in NFL history. Right, um, and and to you know clarify a little bit, it's it's not that we're saying he is Ed Ed Reed or right, right, right you know, brings the same intensity. But one of the things we were saying was the turnovers he's able to create is Ed Reed-like, and we haven't right. seen that in a while. Right.
Right. And I think and I think having a kid that's coming from that program, um, you know, is is going to be a three year starter. Those are the guys that you really want to to, to be foundation pieces as you kind of move forward, um, whether it is going to be a team that has um, Jalen Hurts as their quarterback or it's going to be somebody else. Um, right. And, and in addition, like if Halley drafts Kyle Hamilton, he's, you know, going to be favored by the, the fan base just because of the B-Doc legacy. You know, we're, right. we're finally getting a safety in there who, who can do what he used to do. And, you know, that, that's going to give him points with the fan base instantly. But I don't, I, I don't think he gets to five, though, right? I mean, that's Hamilton. I mean, I, I, yeah, I that'd think be really tough. He's a little bit undervalued. He could drop. Um, I, I don't know. This thing's. I mean, know, it's very early. Quarterbacks right? always fly up, so right, so we exactly. can't judge that. Someone's going to be hyped up to be that, you know, top three pick. Right. I, I can't see right. it not happening because it happens every year, even in these mm-hmm. traffic trash QB draft years. So, you know, and these teams are QB needy up there. So. Yeah. I mean, you know, you look at, you look at number one currently would be Detroit. There is no way any team that's picking number one overall is going to pass on, uh, uh, Kayvon. Is it Thibodeau, 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 whatever, you know who I'm talking about. Six, five, two fifty from, from Oregon. A kid's a beast. Um, now, the Texans with, with, I mean, are you really going to play another year with Jared Goff? Well, I think I think the problem with Detroit is they haven't been able to find a group of players and a group of coaches that are able to get the best out of the the players that they're that they're there, right? That are on that team. And a lot of it has to do with they're just a bad and piss poor run organization. I mean, put it, you remember this earlier in the year. They had a ceremony for Calvin Johnson. And the owner steps up at halftime and the entire building is booing her. Booing her because of how they treat players like that. Right. When, so, when the all-time greats, they, you know, made retire early. Right. Two, so do two, you, of the, two of the all-time greats they've had on their team that they made retire early. Him and Barry Sanders. Right. Like, right, come on. Right. You guys have two of the best skill positions ever. But what, what I would say as a caveat is the Lions, I, I think in a lot of the games they've played this year, they've s- showed some – team cohesiveness in that I, I think the coach new coaches are doing a decent job with with what they have um you're, you're never going to be able to really produce with golf there uh but to answer your question no i don't think i don't think it, where they are in this draft because most likely they'll pick number over number one overall they do not go into they they have they do not have the um flexibility to pass on an edge that talented but they do have the flexibility to keep Jared Goff for another year. I mean, they're not going to yeah. win the Super Bowl next year, right? So it's I, not. I guess we'll see how Malik Willis finishes out the year because that's an interesting prospect. They, they have some de- decent receivers, good quality young running backs. I mean, I, I'd rather see them, you know, kind of swing for it. 
Worst comes to worst is you're back there in the top five next year and drafting for a new QB. So what's it? What's where's the harm in that? No, I agree. I mean, listen, I would love for them to pick a a uh, a quarterback. I would love the Texans to pick a quarterback because the Jets are sitting at number three, and I would love for him to slip to three. I would love it. I would love it. I would absolutely love it. But another quarterback the, the I can run off as soon as they put on that Jets uniform. Cross. Oh Jesus. <laughs> Quarterback killers. I just don't know what to say anymore. I really don't. And 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 it's funny because you know since I'm moving I'm moving out west. You know everyone's like, all right, so you're gonna are you gonna adopt the West Coast team now? You're gonna adopt the West Coast team now? And uh, and everyone's very excited that I'm gonna be able to break free. And I'm like, <laughs> it, it. I'm scared. Right, because the devil you know sometimes is better than the devil you don't know, and what is there for me to be excited about out uh, there? The Niners, the Niners, no. You don't have the Oakland Chargers. Anymore. They're in Vegas. The Chargers. They're down in L.A. Chargers. I know Vegas. No. They're 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 uh, they they have the ghost of John Gruden still haunting them. Because now Bro, he's suing Seattle, the NFL. That's about the only thing, but you yeah. know they're but you they're hate aging. Russell Wilson, Ugh. and I hate Jamal Adams, so that ain't happening. <laughs> Get your safety back. Yeah, well, he's a bum. He can't cover. I'm so happy they made that trade. Now, and I'm the Jets are sitting at two picks in the top in the top ten right now. Yeah, the, the only I, I'm sitting here. It's week ten, and we're talking about the draft. That's how bad our teams are. So, who are the Jets looking at? A, a new owner, please. <laughs> like I would love a new owner, and there, you know, there have always been there's uh, been whispers um, about new ownership for the Jets since God knows how long. But I forget what his name is. He's a he was like one of the early investors in like Twitter and Facebook, and he's a big like NFT guy. Um, Gary V, I think his name is. You may be familiar right. with him. Yeah, um, uh, serial entrepreneur gives a lot of speeches about you know motivation and around entrepreneurship. Uh, right. Really high presence on mm-hmm. Insta and all the social media. So he's yeah. an interesting guy. Um, you know, would bring a Big lot Jeff of fan. energy, I think, to the organization. Um, Big Jeff fan. But like, like all those speakers I, I can't trust them <laughs> aren't you a speaker oh well you're a coach yeah i i, I think that's a little bit different right <laughs> what <laughs> fundamentals oh is it are, are a lot different than arbitrary fundamentals but uh, you know okay, go on right, like, right. I, i'm not gonna diss the guy the, the guy deserves his props he he's obviously very smart he's done highly successful a lot more successful than I'll ever be so, mm-hmm. you know, my my bank account certainly is barely even buying jet season tickets, let alone the jets itself. Well, I, it, it just goes to show you, right? It's these organizations that we talk about Detroit, you know, the jets um, fish rots from the head down. And it's unfortunate. Um, but I think the one difference for me as a jets fan and one of the reasons why I don't you know, part ways as I'm switching coasts is there's something kind of look forward to in all of this dismay, right? You know, 
every time the, the, the Jets decide to do a rebuild, because it seems like it's like once every three years, it's always let's just throw money at players. And they always have to overpay because they are in New York and they're, they're the goddamn Jets. But I think you build it slowly. I think they hit on players this, in this past draft. I think Zach Wilson needs to stop worrying about, you know, what headband he's going to wear under his helmet and if his sleeve is going to roll off his elbow and just well, play, I, I, I always play the fucking go back game. To this. I, I, we were talking about this earlier this year, and I always say that the Jets, you know, they never have the line to suit a new quarterback. Just it, it, It's just way too tough. Like, you're seeing ghosts by your second game. And to do that to young signal callers is just so detrimental. It's it's crazy. Right. And I think that's why what they're going to do, um, they'll draft another offensive lineman, whether it's on the outside or the inside. I mean, they're doing uh, Elijah Vera Tucker is going to be a perennial pro bowler. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's he's, you know, top five in PFF as it pertains to offensive linemen this year. Um, you know, when Beckton comes back on that left side, he needs to get healthy and figure out what's going on with his weight. Uh, but if you bring in like a, a Tyler Lindenbaum, the, the center from Iowa, or you bring in Evan Neal from Alabama, you know, two of those guys Stud. are probably, probably going to be in there. I don't, I am a floor guy, right? You want to pick guys that you know are going to deliver. You know, I, I'm tired of seeing draft picks of teams reaching for guys like I love Derek Stingley Jr. I think every player that comes out of LSU is an absolute stud. I may be biased, but they're just athletic freaks. But the kid hasn't put on good tape since his freshman year. Right. On Dealing probably one injuries of the- ever since you're just projecting him because he has the ideal height, weight and, you know, arm length, athletic yes, abilities. Yeah, so, gets me. D. Mil- Milner ring- comes to mind when I think about think about him, and we all know how that numbers. that worked out. So now let me ask you, know, you this: What is your opinion on the athlete school being drafted? Is that something that goes through your mind? Are Are you looking at a big time school where they have a tradition, or does that not you know matter into the equation as much? No, I think it does, um, and I think it's very interesting that. Uh, when you when you talk to Nick Saban, you hear Nick Saban speak about coaches coming to him and GMs coming to him about you know certain kids that are coming out. And I think I, I think I remember the year Quentin Williams was drafted. Uh, so that was 2019, I believe. Sounds about um, right. There was a there was a uh, hot bike at their pro day and Bill Belichick goes up to Nick Saban because they're, they're friends. And he was just, you know, who, who, who do you like? And he said, and he says, I like 72 who is, uh, uh, Jonah Williams. And then he, he says, he likes the, the, the new D tackle. And then on the hot mic, he says, you know, you're the only coach that has come up and asked me about any of these players. And that, and that baffles me as to how you can, walk up into a program with such pedigree like Alabama and you're a GM or a coach and you don't pick the brain of Nick Saban or any of these coaches for that matter. 
So to answer your question, yeah, I think legacy and consistency for a program matters a lot. Um, I, and I, I tend to agree with you. What, what gives me pause on that matter is, you know, not every year are you going to be able to produce the, these top players, right? So I, I think sometimes it's hit or miss in, in how you put it. But, you know, if the guy's going to be reliable – he, he's going to tell you the truth each time, not not just what's reported to the media. So that, that's really what's hard to decipher for all of us casuals out there. No, I agree. I agree with that. But uh, uh, like perfect example, like look at Clemson right now, right? You know, for the longest time, Davo Sweeney has had a lot of success. But all it takes is one recruiting class to hurt you. Right, and, and, and that could be coming to a lot of parts, right? Um, they've been at the top for so long. They had the lockdown year to try and get in a class. And, uh-huh. you know, and, and their transition from one of the all-time great college quarterbacks in Trevor Lawrence. Like, what that guy did is unreal. So th- that's kind of hard to, to replace there. Yeah. But at the same time, you would think that the kid that was coming in, uh, I forget when Trevor Lawrence couldn't play in the Notre Dame game and the kid threw for like 400 yards, uh, his name's escaping me. His, the reason why his name's escaping me is because they're not playing well. But um, it's, it's interesting how you see the transition of guys who are generational talents, right? Like Trevor Lawrence, how much he could struggle in the NFL. The NFL is an entirely different game than college. The speed is different. The 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 mental um, aptitude that you'll need to to process each and every play, motions, uh, you know, disguises. It, it's a lot different. It doesn't help when you have Urban Meyer coaching you. That's for sure. Not so. At all. So um, it's going to be interesting to see. You know, next year these these second year quarterbacks. Um, you know, Lance Wilson, Lawrence. You know, Mac Jones is just doing exactly what every Patriots quarterback has done since Tom Brady. It's just built being built into that offense and being able to just manage the game. And, right. and and then you have San Fran who is, you know, reported to draft him and end up, you know, going with Trey Lance. And now Trey Lance apparently can't even beat out Jimmy G or who knows what they're doing. I mean, they, they look good this weekend, but you know, you, you would expect that, high quarterback who you traded up for to be in the game right about now. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think that the, the Trey Lance thing is very interesting because you as an organization being the 49ers, you are trying to have that Patrick Mahomes, Alex Smith type of uh, transition into, you know, the next couple of years, but you know, in the last 20 years, that transition has only worked for two teams, the Chiefs and the Packers, right? And it doesn't look like it's going to happen for the Packers again, right? Because Jordan Love does not look it like he's the answer. And we know Aaron Rodgers is most likely going to leave, and he's most likely going to be going to the Broncos. Set of John Wick 5. <laughs> oh, that too. That too. So, 
you know, I think the NFL landscape is changing. We see a lot of teams that were hot and now that are, are cooling off. I think the extra game is going to be very interesting and moving into the playoffs. And, you know, from a from a casual fan or from a fantasy perspective, I think it's very interesting to watch um, not only the college players that are coming up, if you're if you're in Dynasty like Ryan and I are, or you're in redraft leagues um, every single season. The, I think the one component to look at to be successful is waivers and free agency. And uh, Ryan is probably one of the best guys to pick him. He may interfere with lineup changes while John's having a good time <laughs> in Florida. Yeah, yeah, a little clue on that. I do not set up lineups. And when I do, I create issues all the time. So John, in his, you know, life, decides to go down to Florida as we're finally in first, you know, regained most points. But we're right there. We get in first. You know, I'm feeling good about Patty Firemuth over Hunter Henry, who's been producing average. And I tell John I switch it up, you know, but in his drunken state, he can't comprehend. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> don't, don't, don't just like throw these like, oh, I was thinking this and oh, this is what I wanted go, to do. And I just it. texted John while he was, no, I get a text message. All right. After this fantastic brunch at the Ben, it was beautiful. Okay. There were people in the pool. Everyone was laughing. You know, I'm just sitting there, people watching, you know, all my favorite things to do. And it was nice and warm out. But you have the audacity and the mitigated gall to text me at 1030 at night. Getting on my case how you want to sub people. I set lineups on Tuesdays, Ryan. Okay, (laughs) I set lineups on Tuesdays after Monday Night Football. I check to make sure none of our players are getting hurt, and that's it, okay? The next check is normally on Sunday, and so sorry, I didn't change it back. You know that your job is to pick free agents off the waiver wire, which you have done gracefully for the last two years. But do not continue to touch the goddamn lineup, okay? And those of you who are wondering, we did lose by about 10 points where we would cover the that. difference. The difference. Yeah. <sighs> but we, but, but you my know, nice additions yeah. of Herbert, Mitchell, and then a few others off the waivers have provided nice yeah. value. Yes. I just yes. cannot set that dash guard lineup. I, I don't know what it is. And, you know, if you fellow fantasy players out there also have that trouble let me know man because i cannot do it for the life of me well you know if any listeners that want to either get some waiver wire information um or lineup setting you know we're as the prospects. seasons go on we'll, we'll have to do that this year. yeah i think we should pod. i think we should i definitely think we should but you know, there's always some times where, you know, a celebrity player just, you know, will just pop up like OBJ or celebrity such as Justin Herbert. 
in the free agency draft or our man Elijah Mitchell or Jonathan Taylor, which was a drafting. But you know what you did forget to mention is that John also is very, very good at talking Ryan out to making silly draft prospects in the rookie <laughs> draft. We had I what we were arguing for a good hour while we were on the clock, right? You wanted to pick Kyle Pitts. Debating I, between Pitts and Chase, even though the year before we talked about Chase, we would never deter from. Yeah. Uh, the reason being, we get a point and a half for tight ends in our league, as opposed to one point for receiver catches, and Kyle Pitts being who he is. But, you know, John and I were all over Chase, saying how unbelievable he was compared to the, you know, other prospects that it, it was mm-hmm. wild. And, you know, I, I got to give it to you. You made the right call talking back in my place and we sat down on chase and he's been uber successful ever since. Yeah. And it's, it's, and it's so good that we can start hoping that OBJ gets back to his regular form. And so does Michael Thomas. So we could start wheeling and dealing those two players and finally get a good solid running back. But, but we digress. We digress. It's a new week. We're in second. We can still come out of this with a first-round buy for the playoffs. But the one thing that I do want to discuss, and it has been on the tip of my tongue, on the outside of these lips to this mic, can somebody please tell me why I have to keep hearing about these stupid celebrity boxing Fights. The worst. Yeah, and I think the most prominent one has just been brought up with Usman talking about fighting Canelo recently. But no, I'm not even talking about that. That oh. is that I could get that I understand why people are throwing that up there because of McGregor and Floyd. But I'm talking about the, the these Paul brothers and the 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 Floyd Mayweather fight that was down in Miami mm. and now now Jake is going to fight Tommy Fury. Uh, uh, what, you, Ryan? You follow it a lot more on the technical and data side of things, right? And yeah. I'm, I, I, I watch it for the pureness of the sport. But I get into you. We go back and forth, right? You know, we, 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 we dab a little bit. We it, dance. It, it, it's absurd, in my opinion. Like I get it. You know, a name, and it's interesting to see him box, but it, it's not boxing. These guys going in there, they're not, you know, really fucking connoisseurs. There's just, you know, a few weeks training. Now, I have to give it to Jake a little bit because he surprised me in how he's looked. But the way he talks trash, he's not a boxer. If he fought any of these, you know, even up-and-comers, he would get thrashed. So he's all fighting old MMA fighters, you know, has been boxers, and and that's his niche. Like, good on them. Like, it, they created a market, and and I I don't think it's bad for boxing. But am I going to watch it? No, absolutely not. But what do you? But that was that was accurate for the first you know couple of fights that he had. But you know, Tommy Fury, granted, um, you know he's got the name. 
because his brother is the heavyweight champion of the world. Um, yeah, but he's also, you know, four or five professional fights, has, has done yeah. reality shows. So he's not exactly a real boxer either. No, I agree. But what do you think about these contracts, right, that are coming out that the Paul brothers are signing when they fight, that there's a, a, a no knockout clause in these deals? Oh, I've and not seen I, that. Do, yeah, so... What, what is so, this no knockout clause? So what ended up coming out after, um, who is it, uh, Logan ended up fighting Floyd Mayweather, right? Everybody was watching that fight, and everyone said, sat there and was like, why is Floyd, like, holding him up? Like, what's the reason for, like, it looks like he's carrying him around the ring. And, you know, they go through the whole spectacle and the show and the and the rah-rah afterwards, and then it comes out that there's a no-knock, there was a no-knockout clause in that, in, in that deal. Huh. Now, now, the Tyron Woodley fight with Jake, same thing. Comes out there's no knockout clause. How do you get into a ring to try and box somebody in the back of your head? You can't knock them out. Now, I understand no knockouts for Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. Because, you know, they're old as shit. But you're talking about guys in their mid-30s that, you know, are pretty athletic. If I'm getting into a ring with you and somebody says to me, oh, no knockout clause. What am I fighting for? Yeah. The goal for every fight is to knock somebody out. Back on the canvas. Yeah, and that, that's hard to say. I, I would say, you know, the one aspect is you don't want to be selling, like, an old Tyson fight where, where he's having a knockout in 20 seconds because they're not the draw Tyson was and the vicious punchers. But mm-hmm. I could argue that a new knockout clause for them up until like round three would be interesting because they're only fighting eight rounds. It's not like they're fighting the full 12. Um, so, and, and they're not fighting the full, I don't, I don't think, what is it? Two minutes that they fight like, instead of three. Right. And I think it's like, uh, I don't think they go like the full 16, right? Isn't it like eight or something like that? Yeah. Eight, eight rounds, uh, not the full 12 quit watching Rocky. Right. <laughs> It's the 15 rounds. They haven't done that in ages, John. No, I, I listen, listen. My 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 whole thing is is that these the celebrity boxing is saying, oh, we're bringing attention to the sport. We're bringing new fans to the sport. You know, this is something that uh, without they're saying without us, boxing would be nothing. So, what do you say to that? Oh, I mean, I I think it's relatively good for the new fan base, but if they want it to be really good, you know, for boxing, I would say include the younger guys. And they did have Devin Haney on one of those cards, if I recall mm-hmm. correctly, which, you know, to, to me is a good idea. So if you want to promote boxing, start bringing up these younger, high caliber guys and throw them on the card. And it's going to give legitimacy to your card, you know, because these fake fighters boxing. But also in that, 
these guys are going to get exposure that they wouldn't have, you know, exposed to all these guys, fans and everything. So I I think that could be one way into it if they really wanted to say that and do that. Okay. Well, now what type of young fighters are you talking about? You're not talking about the guys, you know, Ryan Garcia's of the world. Well, yeah, Ryan is a unique specimen, right? He already has these epic fan base but uh, i'm talking about like more of your virtual ortiz's your devin haney's your core stevenson's these young guys who haven't exactly built up that huge fan base yet Mm -hmm. but are very exciting young fighters who are guys i consistently watch and am very excited about like because he's going to be the guys of tomorrow so when we talk about when we talk about like the state of boxing, right? The the the, the guys that are starting to come up. I know, um, you know, Canelo just had his fight. I mean, that old the old guard is still there, right? And, um, you know, Canelo's one blemish is Mayweather, who fought him when he was you know a young pup. And, you know, in my opinion, around 23, I think Canelo was 22, something like that. Right. So he was still under kind of like the the Oscar De La Hoya still. Right. The golden, like really. He was kind of like Ryan Garcia, but, you know, more really following into like, you know, what De La Hoya wanted him to do. Um, As opposed to Garcia's kind of like in his own element, doing his thing with social media, trying to. Um, captivate a, a different type of audience outside of boxing, which, you know, seems to be what Canelo was kind of hinting at after um, uh, one of the fights a couple weeks ago that, you know, Ryan needs to get get back in the gym, get into it, you know, take it seriously because he's wasting his talent. And I thought that was a pretty, pretty bold statement from probably, you know, one of the top five pound for pound boxers ever to fight. About you know a what? Kid who how how really I kind of view it as is Canelo being almost his older brother and that being tough love. Because mm. the way Garcia responded to me was more reception than anything. And right, you know, if a kid's not being in there every day, you know, you, you could say in the gym, but if you bring that up, that's going to hit multiple sources where it wouldn't. You know, in Ryan's everyday life, you know, mm-hmm. get your shit together. You know, you you got the talent. Like, he recognizes that. Obviously, Canelo wouldn't waste his time with someone who didn't have the talent. And, right. and he's done, you know, great things already in his young career. It, it's just about, you know, you're, you're never going to get to where Canelo is at unless you have everything on track. Like, because what Canelo is doing is you know, putting himself up there with some of the all-time greats. Right, and I think it has a lot to do with having, you know, we we talk about these athletes that have their um, their friends around them and they have, you know, these yes-men. You, you always hear, like, yes-men, 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 telling them that everything that they do is, you know, correct. And, you know, I don't mean to kind of, like, jump around, but we saw this recently with John Jones, right? John Jones just, he got... Um, arrested again in Vegas, you know, disorderly conduct, drinking or whatever. And his... he was getting introduced to the MMA Hall of Fame. Yep. Yep. As he was getting introduced. And, you know, he's got these guys around him that don't hold him accountable. 
to anything. And I was very shocked that his longtime trainer was like, until he gets himself some help, I'm not allowing him back in my gym. And it's it's people like that, you know, you hope that these guys slip a switch um, and kind of take take their life seriously, take their craft seriously. Um, but for whatever reason, that fighter mentality, there's always like a turning point in, in, in a fighter's life, right? Um, whether it was Bones with the cocaine, uh, whether it was uh, Tyson with the accusations, whether it was um, Ali coming back after um, Customato. Was that his trainer? Or was that the Customato? No, that, that's uh, Tyson. That Tyson like, right? Ali had yeah. a deal with, um, you know, not being involved with Vietnam, and then that right. cost him a few years. Right. So, the, and, then, and then you have people saying, um, that you know, Usman can now get in the ring with Canelo, and you're like, okay, what, what was you were t- we were talking about this before? Dana White was like, I saw the Canelo fight. Right, Usman it, should Usman should just needs to stop. Yeah. yeah, and I said this right before. I was like, this is ridiculous, and and I I think some of this is to do with the celebrity boxing, and you know. The other part of it is they see how much you can make. Yeah, absolutely. Like these UFC guys aren't able to make that much, you know, unless you're Connor, but Connor's a unique story where he drives unreal wealth. I mean, they made 200 million over a boxing match, which is ridiculous. Like that's not your average boxing match ever. And no, and that and that fight and that fight doesn't that fight doesn't happen without you know Floyd doing what he was doing. I mean, F- Floyd was a spectacle in itself, and Conor was a spectacle in itself, right? Right, and those and those two fighters ended up coming together to 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 do this fight. You know, Canelo Alvarez is not a Floyd Mayweather type draw from a from a personality perspective or from a promotions perspective because. Even He's a still under perspective. that. This guy does not mess around. He's not, you know, Flo- look, Floyd's amazing boxer, but he's a defensive boxer, right? And he doesn't have the power, you know, to to devastate these guys. Yes, he's right. knocked people out, but that's not, you know, what makes him Floyd. You know, it's right. not what makes him great. Where where Canelo is Canelo's impressed me so much, man, because it, it, it's like every time I see this guy, he gets better every time mm-hmm. he's in the ring. You know, yeah. when I first saw him, you know, he looked a slow, a little bit mopey against Floyd. You know, you could you could see the basics, you know, gradually, gradually, gradually keep getting better. Like his defense so hard to hit his pressure kept coming up. And now just the power that he hits out and his ability to read guys and just know his distance. It's so impressive. And, and I, I think we've seen that. And the guys moved up, you know, four weight classes. He has titles at five different weight classes. Uh-huh. It's every time. And, and he, now he's up to what fighting 168. He won yeah. uh, one title at light heavy versus you know, Kovalev at 175 before that. But, at, at 168, he's knocking out undefeated title holders with around 25 to over 30 fights. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's 
nothing I've seen before. Like guys who are great, I haven't seen them push the limits the way Canelo has. And much props to him, man. He keeps yeah. making it interesting. Like you can give him. I, I don't even know like what the knock on Canelo is anymore. The, the guy's fought the best of the best. He's kept moving up, and he keeps improving. Like, where do you but dig you, I mean, did you think he won the first – did you think the first Triple G fight was a draw? I thought he lost the first Triple G fight. It, it's debatable. I've gone, watched, gone back and watched it, and the more I've watched it, I, I think the more I feel like a draw isn't the wrong decision. Now, in the moment, I thought Triple G won, but I wasn't, you know, on board with Canelo then. And as I've gone back and watched it, you know, to me, I, I think it's it's pretty close. So depending on the judges, how they score, you know, obviously the judges are going to be Canelo's favor because it's the young prospect, uh, the guy right. who's going to throw money. So, to, to that respect, you know, you could argue it that maybe Triple G should have won, but Triple G didn't really, um, you know, go for it in, in, in that fight. You know, to, to beat a guy like that, you, you got to go for these knockouts. You got to go for these. You have to. Right. It's like, uh, what do they always say? Is that if you get, if you want to take that down the champ, you got to, you got to knock him down. You got to, you got to substantially win. Right. Um, the fight, and you know, I did. I, I I agreed with the second fight uh, between the two of them, um, where where Canelo ended up coming out on top. But the reason why I'm bringing up Triple G is like, I, is that his next fight? Well, I I like, thought that they, was uh, I thought that was so interesting between the first and second fight. I, I think that was the first time we really saw Canelo bring out the pressure that he does, like the, that forward right. pressure where, where he's bringing it. And Triple G could not handle that the second time. And, you know, you want to talk to me about them having a third fight? Yes, it's great on name recognition, but Canelo will eat his lunch. I don't think it's a fight. I don't think it's even close. I don't think he belongs in the same ring as him now. But just because of what? Just because of age? Or do you think it's just that Canelo right. has been able to to – you know, take what he's had from the first fight, apply it to the second fight, and then he'll be able to do the same thing from the second fight to the third fight while Triple G isn't adjusting. Like, uh, like even just kind of explain it for somebody who isn't so uh, entrenched right. in the sport to kind of from a layman's terms. You so, know, where where do you think that change happens? Yeah, with, with Triple G, Triple G's older, right? He's getting up there in age. Um, and I, I just haven't seen the old Triple G where, where he has those power shots where, with the ability to knock people out at any moment. Um, you know, he's not able to sustain his high punching rate as much over the fights. Mm -hmm. So so I think that's definitely an impact. Um, and, and the other aspect is I, I think Canelo really figured him out during the second fight. Um you know, and created a whole lot of issues. Uh, and, and going off that, like what I said, Canelo gets better, gets better, gets better. It's like, it's Triple G going to go up and fight him at 168. I, I, I don't mm. see that working out well for him. And, and I don't see it being a great fight. Like, Canelo, if I'm Canelo, I, I'm looking at these light heavyweight guys now. And 
you know, why not unify light, light heavyweight? Right. There's only been six unified champs. Canelo being the first Mexican ever. Um, you know, the first one happened around 2003, if I recall correctly. So w- what he's doing is pretty absurd in my mind. And the level he's brought is just unequatable to, to a lot of what these boxers have to offer. And it's just so impressive because he's given up, you know, the weight. He's given up the the height, the the reach, and it hasn't mattered. The, the way his defense is, the, the way he reads these boxers, and he's able to read distance. I, I just think, you know, Canelo – he is trending up and you know he's what around 30 now like it's maybe the peak of his prime around here you could say maybe two more years uh but i I just think triple g and him are just in the wrong direction if you want to compare you know canelo dominating the last fight fight they had maybe four years ago or so uh and, and to now i i just don't i can't see it yeah. So, I mean, I think. So from from your perspective, you think that him fighting at light heavyweight is, is the is the next move for Canelo. Right. So if if he's going to fight at light heavyweight, so. That's probably who like a guy like Bivol or someone like that. Um, but like these guys haven't really fought anyone at light heavyweight. The, the only decision is for him. It. Um, you know, is really if if that's the next division he wants to conquer. So what is you're saying, Peterbev, right? Yep. So I mean, that would be a very interesting fight, right? Because you know, well, not not Peterbev, Bivol. So there's two Russians with very similar names. (laughs) But I think if it was me, I would think it would be the. I think it would be Peterbev. It could be either one. They they both have titles, so well. Yeah, Biterbev might be the better option. He has two titles, uh, where Bivol mm-hmm. has one. So yeah, why not? Go I just for think that? from like a, I just think how I look at it, right, is you know you want guys that not only have different styles, you want guys like in this fight, if it was him versus Canelo, right, it would be very intriguing, intriguing because how different their styles are. Since Alvarez is a very, very effective counterpuncher, and he can move well off of each of his power shots, and I think that's something that you know Floyd was so great at from a counterpuncher perspective, but he ha- he didn't have the power that Canelo does. So when you're talking about like how great is Canelo, it's stylistically it is Floyd, but with so much more power, and. And and I think what you really have to talk about is Canelo is not caring, you know, about the guys fighting. He he's fighting yeah. these boxers in their prime who are at the top of their division and never lost before, which which is right. just so impressive as, to me. And and yeah, it makes them ducking him like Floyd, right? Right. And, and after the fight, guys are questioning: Is is this guy even good? Like that's how bad he makes him look. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and I think that, you know, um, <laughs> I think that he is a, he's just waiting for somebody to to really challenge him. And the one thing I would have loved, and I know it's never going to happen, I would have loved to see him and Andre Ward, right? You know, like that, 
that was something that I wanted to see. Right. Or uh, or even if Usyk was still down at um, yeah, right. uh, junior exactly. heavyweight. I, I mean, that, that would be a bit of reach going up to 200 pounds from the 168 he is. But mm-hmm. to me, if there's anyone who could have done it, it would have been Canelo. Yeah, exactly. No, I agree. And I think one of the biggest differences, um, you know, as a clo- kind of close with the, the, the fight game perspective, uh, the fight game talk is, you know, the MMA versus boxing and how, you know, Usman thinks he could come over and fight Canelo. And we, and we said earlier, you know, Dana was like, you know, it can't happen. I think one of the things that people misunderstand about, you know, boxing and MMA and, and strike, striking and MMA, the conditioning that you need to have to stay with a boxer is heavily underestimated. Well, it, it's we, not only in that, like, you know, your your whole striking game perspective changes because you don't have the aspect of kicks, elbows, knees, uh, takedowns. Mm-hmm. So that that's all out of your box, and, and it's just with your hands. And a guy like Usman grew up wrestling. That That's his pedigree. It's in wrestling. Like, he's mm-hmm. dominant because he can dictate where the fight goes. He, he's got heavy hands, right? I'll give him that. So, right. But it's not like he's throwing combinations, like – if you saw Canelo over the weekend, like the way he was ripping to the body, punching the arms out of Plant, Plant was, you know, he didn't know what to do. This guy yep. has 30 pro wins and undefeated, like a champion. And he made him look like, made him look silly. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're telling me a guy like Usman, who, who's, you know, most of his victories come from ground and pound. Like, right. what the hell is that guy going to do in the ring? Mm-hmm. Exactly. The only time he's really standing up is when he wants to punch Kobe Kobotin in the mouth. <laughs> Which, who doesn't? Like, so, yeah, right, so I'll give right. him that. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree with you. It, it's just it's going to be a very interesting um, um, next year, I guess, for, for boxing, whether it's um, from a celebrity perspective, or it's now, you know, since Fury has kind of closed the door on, um, uh, what's his name, the Bronze Bomber, um, oh, and looking forward to Joshua. Mike Joshua. Please, which would be interesting. Yeah. So, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see kind of where the sport goes. Um, and I know we're both kind of looking forward to um, seeing what where Fury is going to end up next. And uh, because it's just it, it, it really is something special to watch somebody that heavy and go through, you know, the trials, and tribulations that he's gone through to then change his style, change his fighting stance and be able to move the way that he moves. I think it's it, it's something that, you know, you really need to kind of appreciate. Oh, and yeah. I don't think a lot it, of people it, do that. As well as the conditioning he has, like being that mm-hmm. big and being able to punch through the whole fight, like it's impressive. Yeah, no, very impressive. Um, but I think, regardless of the uh, situation that Fury has come from, uh, one of the more impressive things that uh, I was able to see this past weekend is. Um, this gentleman, 
who happens to be, as most of the listeners on this podcast know, my favorite athlete, has been seen walking around without his crutches. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, his name is Eldrick Taunt Woods. L.T. Gray. T. Gray. Okay. Now, I was on this podcast years before saying that he was going to win another major. I got laughed at. The only person who agreed with me was my counterpart here, Ryan. Now I hear that he's starting to put the clubs back in his hands. And he may be making an appearance at his event down in the Bahamas. I so love you know I love Phil winning the PGA. Is he must be single again? No, he was <laughs> he was walking with his still girlfriend. But I think it's a little different now because his son Charlie is unbelievable. I think he has a different perspective. He doesn't have that. He still has that competitive edge, but he doesn't have that killer instincts like he had in mid 2000 while he was slaying everything on and off the golf course. Also, the the players don't have the fear that they used to. Right. No, because back then nobody could drive like he could. Now you have guys who can outdrive him. Yeah, I think I think it's not really much of a fear. I think it, it, it has a lot more to do with the type of person that is playing golf now. I think, you know, Tiger was the first person who was an actual athlete playing golf. Now, hey, everybody relax. Okay. I know what Greg Norman looks like. I know what the shark looks like now. John okay, Daly. I get it. All right. John Daly. As, as of American as you can get. Okay. I get it. But you got kids now that are coming up in the sport that are playing basketball, playing football, and by the time they get to high school, they're golfing full-time. So uh, the Tiger effect, I think, had a lot more to do with his athletic ability um, and being able to just really stretch um, and, and and really, really beat up these courses. But, you know, there is something to be said about a little finesse, Ryan. You know? I mean, there's he's still got the great putter game, the great chipping game, so. There's something to be said about, you know, hitting a nice little 60-degree wedge with a little tour sauce on the end of it, you know? I just, I, I, there's just, just feels a little different. Hey, and as, as we up. know, as we know, the only thing that's going to get Ryan watching golf is El Tigre. And the only thing that's going to get me excited about golf is El Tigre. Well, and and the Waste Management Open, which is uh, <laughs> which I will be attending this year for my bachelor party, ladies and gentlemen. And not so I will see you. Italian connections. Um, um, maybe. I, 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 I don't know what you're talking about. Are, are there bodies on this course, John? You got something to tell us. Nope, nope. I got nothing. I have nothing. I cannot confirm or deny anything. 
Okay, no. But uh, yeah, so it's going to be a very interesting end of 2021. I know um, there's a lot to look forward to. Um, the extra game in the NFL. Um, there's a lot to look forward to uh, in the NBA. Um, LeBron is coming back from injury, and uh, we don't know what flat earther Kyrie Irving is is up to now. Um, James Harden, for whatever reason, has continued to thrive in the BK, probably because Top Five Strip Club is in Brooklyn, and we all yeah. know we all know how that uh, statistic works with him. Why he was so great in Houston, number one. Strip club and then he United probably States. gave Kyrie directions to the end of the earth to walk off that flat piece of land. That's it. That's a theory. That's a theory. Throw it on. Throw it on the Facebook. I mean, the metaverse. I mean, whatever the fuck they're calling themselves nowadays. <laughs> but um, you know, I think one of the things that Ryan and I really wanted to to do was to thank everybody for you know tweeting at us and getting back at us and and trying to you know get us back. Uh, to start, you know, the podcast up again, uh, we are going to be taking um, inquiries, questions, topic ideas. You know, one of the things that we ended up learning over the over the time off, and Ryan, you know, you can kind of piggyback off off of this, whether you agree or disagree, is you know trying to make this as of a conversation as possible. Like Ryan and I only have like five or six bullet points before before we get on this podcast and then we just let it flow it's very similar to what we would do if we were sitting at a bar or sitting in a game and yeah, i think that's it's not like we're sitting at research it's all top of the head pretty much so you know we we want to give you what you're kind of thinking like because we sit there and we watch these guys you know, communicating on these sports networks and we're just like baffled at what the hell they're talking about. We we don't give a shit about what charity they're donating to or, you know, who they've been recently engaged to. We we care about the the sports aspect. Like give us those details, like give us the interesting tidbits. Like and, that, and that's what we're trying to help you guys do, cut through the bullshit. So as much as we can, you know, we'll do that. Although John and I do have uh a bullshit fucking conversations that we got to put you guys through, but you know, that's just us. So hopefully you enjoy them and don't hate on that too much, but, and we'll give you the real sports. Yeah. And, and just like Ryan was saying, you're supposed to bullshit. That's it. That's the entirety. What, what, regardless of what you want us to talk about, what you want to hear about, let us know. Um, even if we're not fluent in it, I mean, we don't really talk about hockey. Um, you know, we're not very fluent in hockey, but if you want us to start talking about hockey, we'll drop the gloves. We'll drop the gloves. We'll uh, we'll keep the skates on, and we'll dive and we'll dive right into it. So, um, you know, welcome back, Ryan. Thank you. It's been a while. You know, we're looking forward to uh, moving forward with this, and. Um, you know, as we always sign off, we just want to let you all know that we're thinking about you. Took us we a little you. while, but we are. We miss you. We thank you. And 
as we end every episode, this is no holding back. Make sure to let us know exactly what you don't want us to hold back. <laughs>